Welcome to Backstory, the show that explains the history behind today's headlines. I'm Nathan Connolly. And I'm Brian Bellow. If you're new to the podcast, we're all historians, along with our colleagues Ed Ayers and Joanne Freeman. And each week, we explore a topic in American history. Last month, youth climate activist Greta Thunberg gave an impassioned speech at the United Nations Climate Summit. During the speech, she admonished world leaders for their unwillingness to take meaningful action against climate change. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you! But this is hardly the first time the world has faced the prospect of mass extinction. In the beginning of the 20th century, America's flora and fauna were seriously threatened by urban encroachment and overhunting. And one animal at the center of this struggle was the bison. By the end of the 19th century, once various environmental factors and human hunters had done their work, there were fewer than 1,000 bison left in North America. That's Andrew Eisenberg. He specializes in environmental history and has studied how the bison went from an animal in excess to near extinction in the 19th century. He says at one point, in the early 1800s, there were tens of millions of bison roaming America's Great Plains. Some years it may have been above 30 million, and then they may have overgrazed the range, and then the number would crash. The number of bison is always fluctuating and going up and down. That 30 million or 24, 25 million is probably much closer to the maximum number that the Great Plains could sustain. So how did an animal which grazed the western grasslands in its millions reach the brink of extinction in under 100 years? And what's the current state of the bison? Today you can find bison protected on animal preserves in the west and packaged for consumption on the shelves of grocery stores. And in 2016, President Obama named the bison America's first national mammal. So what exactly does the animal represent to people? And how has the bison population changed with the times? In celebration of World Animal Day, we're going to explore the history of the bison in the United States. We'll hear more from Andrew Eisenberg on what caused the bison's destruction in the 19th century and why some today see it as a symbol of a bygone American frontier. You'll find out how one man is working to restore buffalo for the Eastern Shoshone tribe at Wind River Reservation in Wyoming. And you'll learn about the surprising and troubling connection between bison preservation and Adolf Hitler. Let's start our story back in the early 1800s when millions of bison roamed the Great Plains. And as Andrew Eisenberg says, diverse groups of Native Americans like the Lakota and Cheyenne tribes were hunting them. If you look at the number of natives and you look at the pressure they're putting on the bison, in a good year, the number of bison that they're consuming for food and for hides, for their lodges and for robes to keep themselves warm, the robe is the, is the winter skin of the bison with the hair still attached, all of that was well within the capacity of the bison to sustain. But in the 1860s, everything changed with the influx of white hunters in the Great Plains. In a short amount of time, Eisenberg says, these hunters delivered a devastating blow to the bison population. What happens in the 1860s and really after the Civil War, it's a kind of spasm of industrial expansion on the part of the United States. 
as the U.S. lurches into the Great Plains. So there are very powerful, accurate rifles that had been developed during the Civil War. In the late 1860s, railroads start reaching out into the Great Plains. So all of these things kind of conspired to have a you know, a few thousand white hide hunters move first into the southern Great Plains, and then they move farther north. And they delivered the coup de grace to the bison. That native hunting had chipped away at the bison population over over several decades. Within about 10 or 15 years, these white hide hunters did away with about 12 to 15 million bison. And though we don't necessarily think about this now— Tanning and leather was, I think, the fifth largest industry in the United States in the middle of the 19th century or end of the 19th century. And there's an extraordinary demand for this. And so bison leather was simply just incorporated into this expanding demand. And as it turned out, bison leather is highly elastic. So a lot of it wound up as belting for industrial machinery, which is another sense in which this is a kind of industrial consumption of the bison. Now, there has been speculation that the federal government actively supported the destruction of the bison by white hunters. Is that the case? Yes. I think we have to phrase this very carefully. Some people have said that the army went out and shot bison in order to deny their use to Indians so that natives would have to submit to the reservation system. And in fact, what did happen is that there were too few bison left for natives to sustain themselves, and they had to submit to the reservation system. And the army welcomed this because the army was not having a lot of success when they were fighting natives directly. They were beaten rather badly a couple times in 1876 by the Lakota and Cheyenne and, and Arapaho. But what's not true is that the army went out and did this directly. In fact, what happened was it was private hunters who did the work of killing off the bison. Uh, The army and the Department of the Interior saw what was happening and applauded what was happening, but they didn't direct it. So the, the way I put it is that the federal government commended the work of these hunters, but it didn't command them. Right. It probably could have put a stop to it. It absolutely could have put a stop to it. Uh, There were a couple of bills that were introduced into Congress in the 1870s that would have forbade the hunting of bison in federal territories. And the people who were sponsoring this legislation were inspired by the uh, SPCA, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which was founded right after the Civil War and primarily had as its mission kind treatment of pets and domestic livestock. And this was the SPCA's first and perhaps maybe their only effort to extend their mission to a wild animal. And the people who were in favor of this legislation in Congress, I remember reading uh, in the debates in Congress, what one of them said is that a man who will kill a bison is someone who would shoot down his mother's cow in the barnyard. So really sort of adopting that SPCA rhetoric. Yes. Um, There are those who've critiqued your interpretation of the decline of bison for placing too much blame on Native Americans. I I wanted to get your response to that. Well, I don't think that anyone who's read the book Destruction of the Bison uh, with an open mind would think that I let white hide hunters off the hook. I make it very clear that they were the ones who delivered the coup de grace to the bison. And I think it's one thing to say that Native groups who had kind of 
improvised a new resource strategy around hunting bison from horseback. And over the course of 80 years or so, from you know beginning around the 1770s and 1780s, chipped away at the bison population in concert with environmental factors over which they had no control, like the fact that the weather began to get warmer in the Great Plains starting in the 1850s and that uh, those patchy droughts throughout the Great Plains were kind of chipping away at the bison population as well. To me, that kind of uh, use of the bison where they may have been overusing the bison in seasons when there was not enough rainfall to support the bison population uh, is very different from this industrial surge into the Great Plains in the 1860s and 1870s that did away with 12 or 15 million bison very quickly. For instance, we don't know whether natives left to themselves might not have reconfigured their use of the bison, you know, having realized that, oh, in some seasons we may be killing more than can be sustained, we need to pull back on this. We don't know because they weren't given the chance to figure that out. So to me, they're very different things. You know, often we don't miss something until it's gone or disappearing. Was that the case with the precipitous decline of the bison? What I'm getting at here, Andrew, is trying to understand the move to preserve the bison. Yeah, there's a very interesting pivot or slalom in on the part of a lot of white Americans about the bison. It was a species that was thought of as wild as the resource of the natives, as an animal that would interfere with farming and ranching in the Great Plains. And so a lot of people applauded the destruction of the bison in the 1870s. So they were seen as pests. Yeah, there was a way of opening up the Great Plains. And then as soon as natives were on reservations and no longer presented the same threat to white settlement of the West. Then there were a number of people who became very nostalgic about the bison and sought to preserve it from extinction. And these people included Teddy Roosevelt, who was you know, very much about a kind of frontier masculine notion of the West and how that sort of experience of the West was good for all Americans. Uh, William Hornaday, who ran the Bronx Zoo, also some pretty prominent people, um, uh, J.P. Morgan among them, all of them got together and founded the American Bison Society in 1905. And the idea was to preserve the bison from extinction. And what they did was they rounded up the bison and they collected a few, really fewer than 100, and they put them on some very small preserves. And they installed these bison on those preserves and then declared that they had done their job because what they, they essentially created them as tourist attractions. People could go see bison, experience the West, and then return to cities or return to the East having tasted the flavor of the frontier. What do you make of turning the bison into a symbol of Western masculinity when clearly that Western masculinity had almost led the bison to become extinct. Right. Well, there's there's obviously a lot of irony to that. I think the, one of the things we need to think about is that, you know, this kind of preservation happened within the cultural context of the late 19th and early 20th century. And 
elites such as Teddy Roosevelt had an overweening concern with what they saw as the sort of debilitating and feminizing effects of citified, cosmopolitan, easy living. And so they they really were advocating this kind of move to get back into the outdoors and experience kind of strenuous living in the West, the kind of living that bison hunters had had, they imagined, in the 1870s and 1880s. And so going to national parks or going to a bison preserve and at least seeing these kinds of animals, even if you weren't hunting them, although there was continued hunting of bison going on at private ranches, that would give you this kind of taste of the frontier. The bison were preserved in a peculiar kind of way. They no longer had free range throughout the West. They were preserved in very small little herds. And those herds were so small, in fact, that there was not enough genetic diversity. And so there are some genetic anomalies that began to occur uh, after a few generations of these small herds uh, on these tourist preserves. And that's not something that the American Bison Society necessarily understood. In fact, to the contrary, they thought that these few bison that had survived the slaughter of the 19th century must be the fittest of the species. So it'd be okay to start over with them in these hmm. preserves. So how many bison are there today? Well, there's somewhere between half a million and a million bison in the United States. And the overwhelming majority of them are on ranches and they are raised for slaughter. There are only about 10 or 15,000 bison on public preserves. And that gets to the weird status of bison in the United States, that they are animals you can go see at a zoo or in a public preserve. And you can also go to a supermarket and buy a bison steak. And that's a kind of strange position to be in. You know, what, what I find uh, interesting about that is that we get upset about the Yellowstone bison being killed because we've kind of thought of the bison as, though it wasn't when this began our national mammal, but it always sort of unofficially was a kind of symbol of something. But we we don't get upset at all at the large number of bison that are slaughtered every day in, in abattoirs in order to provide meat for restaurants and supermarkets. So they're biologically exactly the same animal. But one of them on a public preserve we've decided is special, and the other one on a private ranch we don't think is special. Andrew Eisenberg is the Hall Distinguished Professor of American History at the University of Kansas. He's also the author of the book, The Destruction of the Bison, in Environmental History, 1750 through 1920. 